Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All Saints podcast. So I've just finished uh, an hour of teaching with almost all the men, actually, at All Saints Presbyterian here in Fort Worth. Uh, we have a men's discipleship breakfast periodically, and uh, uh, on this occasion it was um, me to do the teaching. And it occurred to me that it might be helpful uh, for what I said to be uh, featured as this week's podcast episode so that it would be uh, picked up by a few other folks uh, within the church particularly and perhaps beyond it. So I'm not going to give much in the way of introduction because um, it more or less explains itself. Um, but I will say briefly this. Uh, first, it's um, uh, an attempt to articulate something like a biblical uh, framework for approaching the task of growing towards maturity in Christ. Rather than thinking about uh, particular issues specifically, instead thinking about the task in general and asking ourselves the question, is there a biblical framework that could give us concrete guidance and pointers for disciplining ourselves, so to speak, so that we learn to um, grow more like Jesus? That's basically what I'm talking about. And I thank God, secondly, for the, the guys who are here. Um, you men, if you uh, made it on this occasion, well, I hope you had as good a time as I did. We had some great food. Um, we certainly had a great time of fellowship and conversation. I'm grateful to you very much for your attentiveness. I love you guys. I'll be praying for you all uh, and um, uh, looking forward to uh, future sessions, picking up specifics from uh, what we talked about today. Anyway, that's uh, enough uh, by way of introduction, I think. Uh, I hope the uh, talk and uh, the Q&A afterwards is helpful to you all who are listening to the podcast. And uh, with that, I'll leave you to listen in. God bless. Bye for now. Um, but before we do that, let's um, lift up our time to the living God in prayer, and then we'll begin. Merciful Father, we are grateful to you for every good gift that comes from your hand. What a blessing it is to be surrounded by dozens of other men who love Jesus, uh, who have been an encouragement to us, whom we have the opportunity now to serve, to learn alongside we pray, Father, that this time will be fruitful for us. And we pray that you'd help us to think uh, appropriately, self-critically, and as clearly as we need to about the task of Christian discipleship and the goal of Christian maturity. Please, with this morning's conversation, bear significant fruit in our lives for years to come, we pray. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. What I'm wanting to do today, uh, I don't normally do, okay, so you've, uh, most of you, almost all of you, will have heard enough of my preaching to know that I don't normally read what I'm saying, and I certainly don't give to the people hearing it a word-for-word -word transcript of what I'm about to say, and so this warrants a word of explanation before we start. This is uh, a summary of a range of issues that all cluster together and it forms something of what I'm feeling is something of a manifesto for some issues I want to share with you over the next few months. As it happens in God's providence, I've got a number of opportunities to teach in other settings as well and I will be taking some of this material to those places and expanding it appropriately I want to give it to you guys first, 
Um, Pastor Neil and I, uh, we do occasionally get the opportunity to speak elsewhere, but I know from his practice, and I've certainly made it mine, that we, we prioritize here. And if we get some other stuff to do, well, we have to squeeze that in. Maybe we get up early on the morning that we're doing it or something. But this, this is for you, men. Um, and at some point, I think we'll share it with the whole church as well. The title of it is Pursuing Maturity in Christ. And what I propose to do is simply to read through paragraph by paragraph in the hope that the detail that I've uh, included here will prompt you to very careful uh, reflection and interrogation of the logic. Um, If you think there's something wrong with what I'm saying, I want to hear it. Um, You know, sometimes the daughters of Zalofa had a right and Moses needs to shut up and listen. And how much more than the men of the church who uh, have the gift of the Spirit as well. Um, But I do think there's something here which we may all benefit from uh, if we have ears to hear. So I'm going to read through it. In the right-hand side, there is some space where I've put some notes which indicate the kind of way that these paragraphs would be expanded. Each of these paragraphs could be the subject of an hour or two of conversation, in some cases quite a lot more. But you might have some questions. You want to scribble down in the right-hand margin alongside the bullet point notes that I've made. So with that, let me begin from the top. Pursuing maturity in Christ. The Christian life can be viewed as a process of pursuing what Scripture calls maturity in Christ. As pastors, I think I can confidently speak for Pastor Neil here as well, it is our goal and privilege to help you in this pursuit. Just a couple of notes from the right-hand margin. The phrase or the idea of maturity appears in at least those four biblical texts in the New Testament, I won't go through them, you know what they say, Ephesians 4.13, Colossians 1.28, 4.12, Hebrews 6.1. In other words, we're not in the business simply of getting saved. If that was our business, we would stop now and uh, probably pray and then go and do some evangelism. That wouldn't be a bad thing to do, actually. Um, But we want to recognize that we have a long-term investment in ourselves and in our families and our church and our community that we want to make both now and in future years and generations, which I hope will make not just our evangelism more fruitful, but actually the whole of our lives and our families' lives more fruitful also. And maturity is the biblical name for what a man or woman reaches when they get to where the goal is. The goal is not merely to be snatched off the burning deck of the sinking ship but to grow in Christ-likeness, and maturity is what Scripture calls that. Second paragraph. This maturity is best understood as a broad, all-embracing category of Christ-likeness, including, and here's a list of things, overcoming specific sins, addressing specific issues of faithfulness and fruitfulness in personal, relational, and family contexts, developing an increasing capacity to handle the demands and complexities of adult life, dealing with various matters on the borders of what are often categorized as mental health issues, such as anxiety and depression. And in general, positively, taking every opportunity for faithful, joyful, enthusiastic, sacrificial service in every aspect of life. A man who does all those things is mature. Just a couple of brief comments. First, a comment about um, the penultimate item on the list, the, the mental health Um, peace. 
I recognise, of course, that that covers a very broad spectrum of, um, uh, I'm not going to say diagnoses, but, but things, uh, experiences, some of which uh, do really warrant some kind of professional clinical intervention. But at the same time, um, many of the themes that are covered in, uh, under that heading are addressed in Scripture, and I don't want overly to pathologize people who struggle, let's say, with anxiety or depression. It may be, in other words, that alongside uh, thoughtful, wise, preferably Christian professional uh, assistance in those areas, there are things that Scripture could help us with as well, um, just more directly. Uh, more generally, right-hand side, um, this is another way of articulating what Genesis 1.26.28 says. Um, you all know what that text is about as well. Um, God commanded Adam and Eve to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over it, to take dominion over it. A man who is mature is in a position to take dominion over the world that God has placed him in. A man who is not mature is not in such a position. Imagine somebody who was not able to do any of these things in that second paragraph. Like, what on earth is he going to do in his job or with his family? Or He'll just be blown around by the creation rather than subduing and ruling over it. This point is made actually in Mark Horne's uh, fantastic little book, Solomon Says. I did a podcast series on this a while ago, um, and I don't know whether it's been re-released um, like all as one. It might, might have been recently. The tech guys have probably done that, or they will do that at some point. One of the points that Mark Horne says, and there are, this is called, um, the subtitle is Directives for Young Men. I'll have some comments particularly for younger men in a few minutes. Um, what Mark Horne highlights here is that this task of ruling the creation must begin with ruling ourselves, controlling and taking uh, dominion over ourselves. In a, in a paragraph that I've quoted before on page 5, he says, If you don't govern yourself, you will be governed by others, and your own impulses will be the reins they use to lead you. That's just really worth thinking about, isn't it? it I, the, the, the phrase self-government will return to in a few minutes' time. You recognize it, of course, from your history. Um, the need for self-government and the capacity for self-government is one of the arguments that the Founding Fathers used to reduce other government. We, we should be in a position where we can govern ourselves so that we don't need that. Well, the problem, of course, is if we can't govern ourselves, we start to need that. And we start to be shaped by that. And your own impulses will be the reins they use to lead you. Third paragraph. Scripture teaches that this maturity of which we're speaking is found in Christ. That is to say, it is his in the first instance because he possesses and exhibits it perfectly as the perfect man, the last Adam. He's the only mature man, actually. He's the only man who's attained this goal. But it is ours by his grace because he has bestowed it upon us as a gift by the Spirit. We are called to make it increasingly ours by striving to live repentant and faithful lives animated by the Spirit. And we are assured that we may expect to make meaningful, significant progress towards increasing maturity if we do so. There's a lot in that paragraph. First, Christ is the mature man, Hebrews 2. Uh, he's the, the one who rules, who's been made perfect, or the Hebrew word is teleon, means mature, in his death. 
and so exalted to rule the whole creation. So he's the one we're aiming at. Well, what has happened to his maturity? The answer is he shared it with us. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of participation in the life and death and maturity of Christ. We have it. It's ours. And therefore, thirdly, we are called to make it ours. That dynamic is absolutely central to New Testament teaching about godliness. You recognize this from these biblical texts, Romans 6, Colossians 3. You have actually died with Christ, Romans 6. Therefore, put to death your sinful nature. Uh, Colossians 3, you have been raised with Christ. Like you are actually raised with him. Therefore, put on those things that correspond to the raised heavenly nature. Not to say the, the non-physical nature, but the nature which is the renewed nature that came from Christ who came from heaven. That's the point of a heavenly category. And we may expect to make progress. And you just look at the New Testament and just see the transformation that is exemplified both in individual people's lives and also in texts that speak more generally about what we can expect God to do in us. That is what some of you were, 1 Corinthians 5. And look at that list of sins. You were, but you're not now. You've been washed, you've been sanctified by the Spirit of God. Mark 5, the demon-possessed man sitting clothed and in his right mind. And everyone's terrified because they see him sane. Not because they're not terrified of him... Well, they were terrified of him before, but they're more scared because they've seen what the power of God can do to drive the evil from a man. Think of the example of Paul, chief of sinners, now the evangelist to the Gentile church. Nicodemus, who in chapter 3 has the temerity to confront Jesus. We know a few things about you, Jesus, and Jesus says, well, we know a few things about you as well. And by the end of John's gospel, he's the guy who's, you know, helping to arrange for Jesus', Jesus burial. And clearly, is, he, he crops up halfway through the gospel, contradicting the entire Sanhedrin. There's a man who's been changed. Zacchaeus. Well, just think of your own personal lives. You have seen, many of you actually, in your own lives, and certainly in the lives of others, a dramatic change that God has wrought. That is a gift from God, which the Spirit has first bestowed upon you and then worked in you as we progress towards maturity. Now, as pastors, again, I'm daring to speak for Pastor Neil here, who may, I'm going to be very um, keen to invite him to contribute, especially maybe when we get to the end of this. But I think I can say confidently, as pastors, we address various aspects of this maturity very frequently in different contexts, paragraph four. In sermons, Bible studies, podcasts, personal conversations, and in prayer with and for God's people. By God's grace, we sometimes see believers making significant progress, but not always. Indeed, sometimes people seem to make no progress at all, or even regress substantially over time, and no amount of prayer, teaching, encouragement, or exhortation seems to make much difference. Even direct one-to-one pastoral counselling sometimes has no effect. Despite the fact that this approach allows issues to be addressed clearly, specifically and forcefully, and often despite the apparent commitment of the counsellee, this lack of progress provokes a range of responses from resignation and despair on the one hand to a never-ending treadmill of trying harder on the other, none of which generally improve the situation. That is to say, we are privileged to walk with you men. Pastor Neil has walked with some of you for decades, plural, 
and seen God's work in you, and it's wonderful to see. And yet at the same time, um, we want to acknowledge that sometimes it looks like your efforts and ours don't bear much fruit. Maybe if you think this isn't true of you at all, you could just go straight to heaven because you fit in fine there. Isn't it the case that all of us actually know that there are areas of our lives where from time to time, or maybe quite persistently, we have strived or striven. I never know what the past tense of the verb to strive. Strived, striven towards maturity. And we did, actually, we're still doing the same things. We still have the same besetting sins. We still struggle with the basic relating to my wife issues or relating to my mum issues. And I'm 15 now and it's about time I, probably about time I figured that out. Persistent relational immaturity. You know, the, just the difficulty of having a man to man conversation with somebody or dealing sensitively with people. Uh, mental health problems we spoke of earlier. Destructive habits of eating, exercise, smartphone use, everything else. It's those things that lead you when you can't control them. Lack of basic Christian disciplines like prayer and Bible reading and so on. Uh, vocational incapacity. You know, isn't it the case that at times we find ourselves lacking the basic disciplines of hard work? Getting up at the same time every day, showing up at the office and working eight hours straight and then going home. You know, just... Maybe not all of us, but some of us, some of the time. And we pray, and it's our privilege to work both in our own lives and to to try and encourage you men and help you men. And sometimes it's just wonderful to see what God does, but not always. And it finds, makes me think, okay, what am I doing wrong? Am I, am I missing something? Is it possible that... The solution isn't just to give up or try harder. So this brings us to the next paragraph. These observations prompt a cluster of significant pastoral and theological questions. What accounts for these dramatic variations in the degree of growth towards maturity among believers? To be sure, it's likely that some people are more prayerful than others or more deeply soaked in scripture or more committed to Christ or more self-disciplined or blessed with wiser counsellors. It might be that it's just my fault <laughs> and Pastor Neil's fault. Blessed with wiser counsellors. It might be that, you know, the guy next to you who's grown in Christ really dramatically in the last few years prays and you don't. It might be, well... Continuing the paragraph, perhaps the spirit in his sovereign wisdom chooses to distribute his sanctifying grace unevenly. But are there other factors at work as well? And crucially, and here's the thing that bugs me as a pastor. What can be done to help those who struggle? Including myself. What could I do besides trying harder? If I have the spiritual equivalent of the 55-year-old man who still bites his fingernails. I know a man like that. It is clearly, I continue now with the next paragraph, it is clearly inappropriate simply to accept these differences without seeking to understand what might be done about them. Of course the Lord remains sovereign over every aspect of our lives, but this never justifies passivity on our part and here you'll recognize um, allusions to those 
text of scripture in the right hand column. On the contrary, we are commanded to work out our salvation, even while we recognize that it is God who is at work in us. It's Philippians 2. To put sin to death, even while we recognize that the old man was crucified with Christ, Romans 6. To fan into flame our gifts, even while we recognize that all our abilities come from God, 2 Timothy 1. And to pursue holiness, even while we recognize that it is God who sanctifies, Leviticus, Hebrews, 1 Peter. Can you see what the point I'm making? We, we don't just want to sit back and accept our own failures to grow towards maturity, do we? Even if we thought in the end it's God's sovereign grace. We, the fact that it's God's sovereign grace working in Timothy to give him that gift of preaching, the young man who's given the tremendous responsibility, doesn't stop Paul saying, fan into flame your gift, work hard at it. And same with all these other aspects of our lives, and those texts are famous for that reason. The crucial question, next paragraph, and here we get to the heart of what I want to really ask us today. The crucial question might be posed in this way. Is it possible to articulate a systematic, biblically grounded, theologically informed framework for approaching the task of growth towards maturity in Christ in every area of our lives. That is to say, not now thinking about a specific issue, although eventually we'll have to think about particular issues. Relationship with my wife, getting cross with the kids, um, laziness, porn addiction, whatever it is. We'll have to get to the specifics. But before we get to the specifics, can we articulate a systematic pastoral theology? Besides, I continue with the paragraph, besides what we all know we should be doing already, now, let's assume that we're all doing this. Trusting Jesus, regular corporate worship and fellowship, daily prayer and scripture reading, seeking advice, striving for godliness. Let's suppose we're all doing that. And we're still frustrated by our lack of progress. Does scripture suggest a big picture, quote unquote, that directs us towards specific concrete steps that might produce the fruit of the spirit in greater measure? Is there some uh, synthetic picture, some picture that brings together all the teaching of the Bible that, that would allow us to view this task in a more methodologically sound way. It will give us concrete steps that we can undertake. It turns out that it does. Next paragraph. According to scripture, the normative God-given process by which a person grows from immaturity to maturity has a simple name and it's deeply humiliating. The name for that process is childhood. Parents are called to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in the confident expectation that the Lord will be at work in and through that process to bring them from Christian infancy to Christian adulthood. And this is, I think, the central insight. And I, I'm thankful to God. I've been tuning over this for about 12 years. Um, and it suddenly dawned on me, the answer staring me in the face. What's supposed to happen is that you start with a baby about seven or eight years younger than these lads here, or 12 years younger than young Master Claghorn. And what's supposed to happen is over the next 16, 18, 20 years, they grow from being childish to adulthood. And if, if everything was going perfectly, they'd get to be a man and they'd be a mature man. Not sinlessly perfect, to be sure, but the kind of man whom you could admire 
we distinguish, don't we, between um, sinless perfection that Jesus has and the kind of maturity which is within our grasp, even though there's still room to grow. Consider the illustration of, um, uh, let's say, a professional sportsman. A, a sportsman gets to the point where he's, he's, he's good at his sport. A good sportsman knows he could always get faster, stronger, throw the ball straighter. Um, you know, he could always improve. But you get to a point where you where you're like, you know what? I'm I I've dealt with all the fundamental immaturities, and I submit to you that the problem is we've not at various points. Consider how parenthood. I'll carry on reading. Is supposed to work. Parents love their children, bring them into a worshipping community and provide the basic essentials of life, food, shelter and clothing. They show them how to relate to others, teach them about God and his world and discipline and correct them when the behaviour strays from the path of righteousness. But parents also do more than this. Parents provide a vision for their children's growth and a structure within which that growth can take place. They have a clear understanding of what their children's capacities are and they have a clear vision of how those capacities ought to develop in the future. Put more simply, they know where their children are and they know where they ought to be going. Now, just imagine the the hypothetical perfect, not perfect, the hypothetical mature family. What would be the outcome of the parenting process? Well, it wouldn't be sinless perfection, but it it would be the kind of process of family life in which all those basic needs were provided, teaching was provided, and uh, they were taught to relate to one another and uh, to relate to other people and to work hard and so on. And that happened because the parents were self-consciously thinking, okay, this is this is where my son is, this is where my daughter is, and this is where... He, she needs to get to. And by the end of the process, that's roughly where they'd have got to. Now, uh, this highlights a couple of other... Well, I'd mention one of them at this stage. Um, A word to you young people particularly. Childhood is helpfully viewed as a temporary period of protection from the consequences of being immature so that you have time to grow up it's like um, if you've ever raised um, and here I stray into an illustration that I know nothing about but let me have a go anyway if you've ever raised like vegetables or or flowers or something and, and there are some flowers aren't there where you need to provide special food when they're small and then you tie them to a stake as they're growing up before they're able to support themselves Childhood is that kind of extra protection from the vicissitudes of life, from the horrors of living in the world. And it's designed to give you a chance to get to the point like where your dad is or beyond. What could happen is that you get born and then just left. Best of luck. We know the tragedy of actually what happens and has happened historically when children were treated in that way. Well, you could get to the age of five where you can walk, eat, talk, but not much else. And then you just get left. Or you are subjected to all of the consequences of your immaturity. Imagine if at the age of five, 
anything that you didn't do for yourself wouldn't get done for you. Now, so what is childhood then? Childhood is a period of God-given protection from all those terrible consequences like starvation and violent death. With this purpose, that you should have time to grow up. That's what it is. And the crucial take-home for you younger men is, like, well, first, there's two things. <laughs> the first is, praise God that you've, you've still got time. Not much time, some of you. But you've still got time. And then secondly, obviously, please make the best use of it. Like, childhood is not temporary protection from the vicissitudes of life so that you can just improve your Minecraft score. Right? That's not what it's about. The aim is that you should use this protection like a plant uses the, the stick that it's tied to and the extra food it gets given to grow stronger so that by the time it gets to 18 or 20 years old, it can actually look after itself. Your parents provide so much for you in the way of protection and food and education and training and everything else and and really the message for you guys is I, I, I suspect every man in this room would cheerfully go back to being your age again and not make three quarters of the mistakes that he made on the way to wherever he is now I would so you are the most fortunate blessed people in here because you haven't yet made all the mistakes that the rest of us have don't make those mistakes and start now by making the very best use you can of the protection that you've got as a kid. Learn all you can. Grow all you can. When, you're, when your dad says, listen, you should speak a bit more politely to your mum, thank the Lord that he did that. Because out there in the wide world, if you spoke rudely to a woman, you might get punched in the face by her husband, which will be really nasty. Yeah, so, so you get trained to relate to ladies appropriately in this safe context with gentle encouragement rather than having your nose mashed in because you got it wrong once. Yeah, That's what would happen in the world. That is what happens in many cultures. This culture, this culture that's been shaped by the gospel, is a culture in which your parents love and care for you and protect you and say, you know, you really ought not to speak to ladies like that, otherwise one, of, one day somebody's going to turn around and... Yeah. <laughs> snap you in half you know? yeah. so use this time to develop all these character traits Okay. next paragraph crucially how does this process of upbringing work right. crucially the parent sorry the children's movement along this journey is facilitated by the imposition of structures or patterns of behaviour designed to inculcate habits that shape their children's character. Over time, this character takes root, and the externally imposed structures can be relaxed as the children learn to govern their own behaviour. Notice self-government again. It is this capacity for Christ-like self-government that lies at the heart of maturity in Christ. Now, this is the point where we start to transition um, back to the adults, and we think, okay... If, if childhood is the process by which we're supposed to become mature, and we're not there yet, what is it that we could learn about childhood that might help us to 
recapture some of the left-behind bits of our character. I'm not the man I should be. I don't have the character of Christ yet. What is it that produces character? The answer is habits produce character. And how are habits learned? Well, they're forcibly imposed on young people by their parents. That's, how, that's what happens. That's why the book of Proverbs says um, what it says about um, shaping the heart of a child. Um, folly is bound up with the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. So the structure of a stick applied in various places at various times to keep you within a framework of certain actions being acceptable. You, you learn that it's acceptable to get up and help with making breakfast and not acceptable to lie in bed till 11.30 on a weekday. You learn that because that structure is imposed on you. It becomes habitual because you're like every morning you get up at the same time and well, pretty soon you're waking up at that time. And then it shapes your character. You become the kind of man who at the age of 25 or 35 or 45 is up with the lark and off to work before everybody else gets into the office. And suddenly, you're the guy who's running the business because you're productive. What's happened? Your character has been shaped by the habits that were inculcated in you by the structures of life that you had as a child. Thank God for your parents. Yeah? Within this framework, we can now re-articulate, I'm back on the reading again, third paragraph down from the top of that page. Within this framework, we can now re-articulate the problem of immaturity we described earlier. In effect, it is a failure to grow up fully through the divinely ordained process of childhood. Various aspects of our lives are still stuck in the past, so that though we may be chronologically adults, and with beards and things, significant Traces of childishness remain. All of us, autobiographical note, all of us have this problem to some degree. An adult is immature to the degree that he lacks the capacity for Christ-like self-government. That explains, by the way, why all of those texts that are listed on the right-hand side of the page, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 3, 14, uh, 3 and 14, Hebrews 5, why they all talk of various kinds of ungodliness in terms of being like a child. The problem with these Hebrew Christians or Corinthian Christians or Ephesian Christians is that, well, I mean, they're like a, a full-grown man with size five feet. Like there's, there's a part of, yeah, they're chronologically adults, and in many ways they are adults. Maybe you're really productive at work. And maybe you're the kind of man that other men respect, but you've got no idea how to talk to your children. You, you, you've lost, or you never learned, that relational sensitivity. Or maybe you're just really... Um, uh, there are issues of sin and temptation which are um, corrupting all of your relationships with, let's say, your wife, that relationship in particular. There's something or some things about us which we haven't yet learned to rule appropriately. We're not doing Genesis 1 in here and in here. Instead, we're being driven by our desires. We're still childlike in some respects. Next paragraph. This being the case, we can now articulate an answer to the question with which we began. Like what? Is there such a thing as a systematic pastoral theology? I think there is. We can now articulate a fresh approach to addressing the problems of immaturity with which we began. If the problems arise from a failure to grow up, perhaps they can be tackled by replicating 
in adulthood, some aspects of the processes that should operate during childhood in order to catch up in those areas where we've fallen behind. Now, next paragraph immediately. We're obviously not talking about a simple return to childhood. But the point is not to say, oh, what, what are all the dumb things I did as a kid? Yeah. <laughs> or all of the childish things that I did as a kid. The, the point is to ask, what are the structures that are supposed to operate in childhood to guide me towards maturity? How could I employ them? As adults, we have numerous responsibilities that can't be relinquished, managing our families, earning money, planning our lives. So it makes it more difficult because we've got to actually carry on doing all the adult stuff while at the same time thinking, what were the structures that shaped my life in the past? Moreover, we can't look to our parents. We have disadvantages at this point. Our parents are no longer going to react very politely to the invitation that they move in with us and start telling us when to get out of bed in the morning and what food we should eat. Like, you're going to have to do this yourself. We all, and it, actually it's more subtle and sophisticated than that, isn't it? Some of the pathologies with which we suffer, the sins and immaturities that we exhibit are actually quite complex and aren't the sort of thing that are easy to root out by straightforward routines like setting an alarm clock. We can't look to our parents to provide whatever structures we may need to facilitate our growth. Rather, what we're doing is we're recognising, I'll continue reading, and seeking to benefit from the central insight that character flows from the cultivation of habits, which in turn are created by the imposition of structures for life that may be removed once the desired character is firmly in place. This is central to the God-given pattern for childhood. It's how the spirit works in us, to bring us to mature manhood. And it may help us greatly as we seek as adults to grow towards greater maturity in Christ. In other words, we're not thinking, go back and be kids again. We are thinking, when I was their age, and my parents, with all their failings and flaws, they did provide for me some kind of structures designed to inculcate habits that will produce character. And I didn't take advantage of those. I, I just kind of ignored and I was quite glad to leave home because, um, you know, then I could just do my own thing. Right. Well, what were those structures? Or what would be an analogous structure that I could impose upon myself by which I could discipline myself, disciple myself, rule myself and learn the habits and therefore inculcate the character I need. Or there will be some of us for whom the appropriate way to frame that is to say, no, actually, truth be told, my dad or my mum or both my mum and dad were absent and uh, maybe culpably, maybe not culpably absent, maybe physically absent or maybe physically present but not really you know, ever there for me, so to speak. And uh, if that's your experience, then... Uh, you will be aware that there are, well, you may not be aware, but you may be aware that there are, there are things that you never really had a chance to learn. But of course, we're past the point now where we get to blame dad or get to blame mum. We're, we're now at the point where, um, you know, you're what, 25, 35, 45. Uh, even if you're a victim, and we're all victims in a sense, aren't we? Even if you are primarily victim and it might be of terrible painful circumstances 
look, here we are now. Right, what are you going to do? What, nothing? Weep in the corner? Or think, okay, what did I miss out on? What were, or no, what would be for me now appropriate structures by which I could inculcate the habits that would produce a character of a man who is admired for the way that he loves his wife? Who is noticed for the way that he works diligently and assiduously? A man who knows how to enjoy himself, but you never see him after four beers, because like four beers, it's like, that's ridiculous. Boaz's heart was merry. But he was still completely compassmentous enough to accurately perceive the situation he was in, remember the Leverite marriage legislation, uh, talk with Ruth and plan what he was going to do the next day with the other redeemer at the gate. Like this guy was not blasted because he knew how to rule himself and he knew how to enjoy himself. What would I need? What structures would I need to put in place to become like Boaz? Or more likely, <laughs> what structures would I need to put in place to become a man like Jesus? To be more specific, I think we can identify the following five aspects of our task. And these amount to those elements of our earlier lives that a great parent would have sought to provide for us. And which all our parents, to some degree, will have done. And they may have failed at various points. But I'm telling you now, <laughs> I think these, is what, these are the things that we ought to do for ourselves. And there are five. Number one, accurate self-diagnosis. We do not have the luxury of relying on parents to diagnose our shortcomings. We must do the job ourselves. We may be helped by sermons, teaching, books, study, the encouragement and rebuke of friends and so on. But in the end, we must take personal responsibility for clearly identifying those aspects of our life and character that we wish by God's grace to change. And I've got into the habit now of when I'm uh, counselling somebody, I ask them to write it down. It's got to the point where I've realized, like, we need to actually make this explicit. Uh, Go away and sit down. Maybe sit down with your wife or just sit down on your own and write down what it is precisely that you think you would like to change about yourself. In the past, your mum and dad would or should have done that for you. It's like, man, Steve is so lazy. What can we do to make him get out of bed in the morning? But now we have to do that. Second, clear goals. Having defined the problem, we must define the solution. What would Christ-like maturity look like in this particular area of life? Again, there are many resources that may be helpful in this task, including, as we'll talk about in a minute or so, your pastors or your brothers in Christ or any number of other resources. But again, the ultimate responsibility is ours. So it's like, What your parents did is they knew where you were and they knew where you were going, or where you should be going. Well, who's going to do that now? (laughs) Not them. Then third, I think this is perhaps the hardest part, well-defined structures. Having defined the trajectory along which we wish to grow, that the trajectory is defined by one and two. One is where you are, two is where you want to get to. That gives you the trajectory. The question now is, What are the structures that will inculcate the habits which will, over time, by God's grace, forge in us the desired character? How how do we move along this trajectory? Fourth, tracking progress. This starts to sound 
more straightforward again. A loving parent watches over their children's development, attentively monitoring their habits and prayerfully awaiting the emergence of the desired character. Some of you dads do that, right? You watch your kids and you pray with your wife for them and then you, you rejoice when you see, sometimes 10 years later than you wished you saw, would see it, but that's just the way God works. You see the character and then you commend them for it. You say, you know, son, that was great. I'm really proud of you because there have been things that you've, hard circumstances you've had to deal with in the last few months and you've dealt with it really, really well. Well done. Or you say, come on, son. Yeah, you, we've talked about this 50 gazillion times before. You, this isn't where we said we, you want to get to. Well, we're going to have to do that ourselves, aren't we? Maybe, again, with the help of others, but we must take responsibility for it. And then finally, number five, absolute commitment to the task. A child who lacks willpower may still grow in maturity if he has diligent parents. I would say they will still grow in maturity, actually. Perhaps I should strengthen that. The reason is because parents are there to supply what's lacking in the child's willpower. <laughs> you know, when children have a bowl of popcorn and a bunch of movies to watch, there's not much willpower to go to bed. Right? But what mum does is say, listen, popcorn isn't the best thing for you to eat. And then dad comes and says, yeah, and you want to be in bed by three minutes ago because you've got to be up for school in the morning. So parents supply the willpower that you need to keep to the habits, but you don't have that. So what's needed is absolute 100% commitment to the task. This is another reason, by the way, why I ask, uh, I frequently ask um, people with whom I'm in one-to-one counselling situations to write down and then send me something. Um, you know, some, some kind of brief description of where they are and where they're trying to get to. It's not just a practical thing, like it helps me remember. I just know that somebody won't do that. There's nothing I can do for them. It is extremely difficult to repent. Repentance is hard. This is, this is why I started thinking about this, oh, 13 years ago now. Because I, I would have these counselling conversations with people and I would we'd talk for hours and hours and hours and hours and I realised it, it started to dawn on me that um, in some cases it was great and the change would happen very rapidly and in other cases nothing would happen and one of the things that was missing, I think partly what was missing was my own pastoral clarity and practice 13 years ago. Um, like, what did I know? What do I know now? But 13 years ago, even less. But also, I think what's lacking in some cases is commitment. And you can't help somebody who doesn't want to change. And the way you know if they want to change is if they will send you an email that's 300 words long that says, well, listen, Pastor, this is where I think the problem is and this is where I want to get to. If they won't do that, well, you just pray that they will one day. And it's a joy to me to see and to read those emails that I get back. I've had them from some of you. Well, you've, you've sat down with your wife and you've said, here's where I am. Um, we talked about this and we had another argument about it, but eventually we managed to agree on the wording. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you know the guy's committed. Finally, just last paragraph. Uh, incidentally, that last point, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff which... Um, connected with our will, uh, which is elucidated in Jamie Smith's book, 
um, desiring the kingdom. And I'm going to be, I had an invitation to go up just for one night and one morning to uh, the CRC church in Wichita, Kansas. And they've asked me to talk about this. So in God's providence, I think it will slot in wonderfully here. And we'll be able to, I'm hoping to explore with them in more detail um, uh, how our, what we desire and love interacts with um, uh, our outcomes in our life, the the, the fruit of our repentance. By promise, I, I will give to you guys the best of what I come up with, either before or after that. Um, it may be after that, because there's a lot to think about. Finally, final paragraph. This helps us to understand the proper place of counselling in the development of Christian maturity. And by counselling, I mean not just what Pastor Neil and I do and what other professional counsellors do, though it may be mainly that. It may also be that we should think of our conversations with each other in this way. Counseling, I continue reading, is frequently thought of as the solution to problems of immaturity in the Christian life. You know, you've got a problem, we'll go and see a counsellor and the counsellor will help you. Wrong. In fact, it is no such thing. True, there are situations in which counselling by itself can provide what a believer needs. Advice about a difficult decision or prayer and encouragement in a time of trial or an answer to a troubling theological question. In those instances, you just go to the counsellor and the the problem is solved there and then, in this, to the degree that it can be. You know, you, you've got a difficult decision, so go and see Pastor Neil. <laughs> and um, and you'll pray about it, and he'll give you some advice. And you're like, actually, I know what to do now. Great. Problem solved. Or difficult theological question. Go to Pastor Neil, and, and he'll answer the question. Or um, you just want somebody to pray with you. Well, if you want somebody to pray with you, then somebody to pray with you is the answer. doesn't need to be me or, or Jeff. It could be any of us, but it could be us. But systemic problems of Christian immaturity cannot be solved merely by talking about them. Christ-like character is forged in the furnace of life, and life has to be lived. Peter Lightheart has a great line in Against Christianity where he says, that we have been taught, and he's thinking in the context actually about various worship liturgies, We've, we've taught, we've been taught that it is possible to think our way through life. Which you, you can't do. And what a, a robust Christian liturgy does is involve your body. And the aim of that is to train us in the recognition that our bodies are part of us. And they're the parts that need to be engaged in the process of growing to maturity. That's why we kneel and stand and sit. It's partly why. Counseling, back to this paragraph, has a valuable place in helping a committed Christian to do these five things. Formulate accurate self-diagnoses and clear goals, establish effective structures to promote growth, track progress honestly and encourage ongoing commitment. So, like, if you've got a porn problem, well, you need an accountability partner to receive the emails sent by the app that you pay $10 a month for that takes little images of anything on your phone that looks flaky and, and sends it to him. You know, it's tracking progress, honestly. So you need somebody to do that. That could be me, could be Jeff, could be somebody else. So that's great. Counselling can be a part of that. And it can help in all these other ways as well. But without this ongoing commitment to growth, that is to say, the ongoing commitment to live out the things which we're talking about, counselling is likely to be futile. By contrast, when life is lived, 
in humble dependence on God's grace with self-conscious commitment to Christ-likeness and attention to the patterns of life that God has designed for our good, then we will experience growth towards maturity in Christ. My favorite illustration, which I've used before, um, is the counselor as gym coach. If you decide, you know, I want to get stacked like courage. Um, uh, so I'm going to go hire a personal trainer. Well, seriously, I mean, I'm going to go hire a personal trainer uh, and I'll pay him $100 a week. And they go, you go to a personal trainer and he says, well, yeah, you're looking terrible, Pastor Jeffrey. You skinny little yeah, Brit. Um, <laughs> so here's what you need to do. So you need to, so here's your bench press thing, here's your deadlifts, here's your squats, here's some overhead press and some bicep curls. And then, so do these routines, do, do this stuff. And here's your rest day. And I'm like, I'm going to the rest day. And I'll see you next week. And you go back next week and you say, well, and he says, well, um, well how did you get on? I said, well, I'm not really feeling any stronger. I said, well, how did you get on with the exercises? And he said, well, I thought you were supposed to help me with, you know, the growing stronger. So didn't you do the training? No, I thought this was where we, you know, the, the, the coach cannot help you. What the coach can do is to show you how to cut with the grain of how God has made you. God has made you so if you lift heavy weights, consistent progressive overload, you will build muscle tissue. God has made you so that if you're five years old and you learn to hold the door open for your little sister and say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you will grow into a man who loves and respects women appropriately. God has made you, wired us, so that if we have mums and dads who force us out of bed at some unearthly hour of a Saturday morning to come to a men's discipleship breakfast, sorry, son, then we will grow into the kind of men who discipline ourselves in that respect. What we're doing is we're cutting with the grain of God's way of causing us to grow and live. And if we do that, we will experience growth to maturity in Christ. I'm confident of that. So we have 15 minutes before 11 o'clock. I want to call a halt at about 5-2 because we have about five minutes work clearing up, putting five tables and chairs out there. Um, but we have 10 minutes for discussion. Any questions, any comments? Um, before, well, while I was just thinking about that, I'll say one thing about what I'm proposing to do next. Um, Pastor Neil may have um, uh, uh, something on his heart that he wants to share with you at one of these men's discipleship breakfasts. And if that's the case, then we will uh, make space for each other as we've been doing uh, in the last year or more. Um, but uh, as and when I get another opportunity to gather you all together, first thing we'll do is get even more coffee and tacos. Um, uh, uh, but the other thing we'll do is we, we'll focus in on one or more of these areas more narrowly and start driving towards the practical implementation of them in some particular kind of case studies. And so you might like to highlight, uh, feel free to get in touch with me and say, I'd love to see how would, how would we work this out in and then a specific issue. If, if, if I got 65 emails in the next week while I'm on vacation, <laughs> thanks, um, if I got 65 emails in the next week saying, um, thanks, Pastor, can we talk about applying this to X? That would be awesome because then we'd, we'd have the portfolio of specific issues that we can work on together. My, my plan is to do that and also to dig a bit more deeply into some of these sub points, so to speak. But we've got 10 minutes, so questions, comments, thoughts? The floor is yours. 
Pastor Neil in particular, if you have anything at any point, then please, um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Courage. Uh, could you talk about uh, the, uh, like the role of like, shame in lack of, of progress? Um, shame of difference? Yeah. What kind of a part that plays in Yeah. I'll talk about the role of shame in lack of progress. I think that there is a place for it. Um, if you think scripturally, um, I don't, hmm, okay, let me think more carefully. That there is certainly a scriptural um, place for um, that the others may hear and take warning. You know, so other people see the outcome of a, a ruinous way of life and think, my goodness, I don't want to go there. I guess what your the shame point is, if we experience the disapprobation of other men, let's say, is that supposed to be a motivator for us? I, I was talking more hmm. talking about um, well, the effective. Yeah, the effect. I, I guess, I guess Whether it be a, an effective. Well, more like... Um, Maybe, but maybe just knowing in yourself that you haven't made a change to change. Okay. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. So, so maybe shame's not the right Right, I, I think that's probably, probably it. Yes, because I'm thinking of shame as, as the feeling of being looked down upon by others. Right. And, and so we, we don't want that. But what we do want is, um, if you like, the, the, the personal positive correlate of that. So the sense of... Uh, and I've been given so much, and I have not really been what the man I could be. And you want to stop it at the point about two steps before you get to despair. Because new every morning is the grace of the Lord. Uh, we start from where we are. I'm, I'm absolutely dead serious when I say, I was talking to a 19-year-old man uh, on Wednesday evening before Bible study, and I said, look, I would love to be 19 again, because I, I made so many stupid decisions. There's so many stupid things. And I don't want to say I'm ashamed of them, because I want to say that the, the sinfulness is covered by the grace of Christ. The foolish decisions themselves, God is going to weave into his perfect pattern. But I do want to say, look at yourselves. Look at, look at who we are. Raised with Christ. Um, in a church community, in a part of the world where we're not at war and there's no famine, um, many of us blessed with uh, wonderful wives, wonderful families, and, and all of us blessed with the possibility of that. And so much that the Lord has given. Now, from those to whom has been, much has been given, much is required. I think that's what I'd, what I'd say in that. It's the parable of the talents. Is, would be the best paradigm, I think, for thinking about that. So I don't want you all to go away from here feeling like totally beaten up about, I'm such a loser. Like, well, of, course, of, course, of course we're losers, come on. Like, we're Adams, but we're Christs as well. Christians, the first the name that was given to the little Christs. So it's, if we, if you, if we can view our failures from that perspective, that, I think, should motivate us. 
Um, I think, yeah, yeah, and we've got a couple of questions here, so Mr. Sutherland, and then. I was going to make a comment. Mm. You know, I think a good response to guilt or shame, self-guilt or self-shame, a particular sin, you know, I mean, thanks be to God, because it shows that we have a conscience that is given right, by the right. Holy Spirit to convince us of our sin. Yeah. And then if we take that and look to repentance, we can avoid the despair. Yeah, no, I think it may come from time to time, but we can always thankfulness is a great alternative to that. Yeah. A great uh, way to turn our minds away from self love Yeah, definitely. Everything is transformed by the grace of Christ. Even our recognition of our most horrific failures. Think of Psalm fifty one. That's the classic example, isn't it? Uh, David somehow manages to look in the face the idea that he has had a man killed so that the fact that he slept with his wife might not become known. Uh, and, and then the kid died. I mean, he manages to look that in the face. And he comes out the other side able to stand before God. I mean, that's the kind of God that we worship. It's not, he's not standing over you with a big stick saying, all those wasted years, girl. You know, he's saying, look at, look at what's before you. If you only had a week left to live, wouldn't that be a spectacular and glorious opportunity? Wouldn't it? If you had five days, or you just had today left to live, if all you had was today, and obviously we think that, Lord willing, that's not the case, but you, we have so much in the way of opportunity to love others, to serve Christ, to um, seek to... Uh, yeah, I'm like, go on. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Robinson, yeah, jump in. And then um, Gina. Taking a little different direction, but along the lines of coaching, under the theme of coaching. Yeah, yeah. It occurs to me that maybe down the pike as we open up, as we open up and drill down into some of these other topics... Um, I think it might be helpful to, to eventually discuss what it looks like for, for there to be sort of a, a more democratic approach across the board of, of mutual accountability. And what that looks like, even like in our, like really practically in our conversations, like on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday the reason I bring that up is, is a couple of things. I think that some of us, I would include myself, have a difficult time understanding, like, is this a conversation I should have, or is this a conversation Jeff and Steve should have? That's, and, and, or maybe it is a conversation I should have. Or maybe I shouldn't get involved with this because this isn't my business. Or maybe this person's going to tell me that's not my business. And maybe that's right, but maybe that's not. You know, th- there's some... We have an American sense of "don't mess with me, this is my business" kind of thing. We have a British equivalent. Pushing away a daily resource. Yeah, yeah. Just our brothers, just sort of a more democratic approach to counseling. You know, a lighter version of it. Yeah, yeah. So I just wonder. I'm not saying that that's something that we need to talk about right this second, but I just think that down the pike, it'd be good for us to not always, you know, and and I mean, it may be that everybody here has different conversations to one degree or another, but, you know, I mean, eventually we have to move past the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's really right. And, and to, to a certain extent, 
we can actually make some progress towards resolving that now by having one massive great icebreaker. Okay, ready? Um, guys, feel free to ask each other intrusive questions. And blame me if you're offended by that. <laughs> now, there we are. So what you can, you can literally say, um, listen, is this, something you wanna, is this something you wanna talk about, like seriously? If not, no worries. You can, uh, that's what you need to do. And now I've said that, <laughs> now it's kind of easier. Mr. Haskell, yeah. Just on that. Not to tap on too much to what he said, but <clears throat> as I get older, one of the things that I've discovered in my life that I didn't always get from my dad was something that we all should be responsible in giving to each other, especially as, as Christian men. If you're an older guy looking into, uh, if you're in your 30s and you're looking or talking to a teenager, you can quite easily see the areas where they're struggling. It, it, it manifests itself in their conversations and things of that nature. So sometimes you don't have to broach a sticky subject or talk about something that's unpleasant or embarrassing, but we all have the responsibility, biblically and otherwise, to be exhorters, to encourage yeah, each other yeah, through yeah. those times. Yeah. And sometimes just a, a, a bit of encouragement, a, a hey, man, you're, you're doing really good here. I mean, I heard about this, and way to go. That, that's a good thing. You're on the right path. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you ever need anything, and just know I've been through this, and it didn't work out so well for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'd love to, love to help you any way that I can. Yeah. Now, I think I, I, I appreciate those two inputs, and I think maybe, particularly in this setting, we've got a bunch of guys, that's a good place for that. Um, so we, we find a way of breaking the ice and keeping it mostly broken yeah so we don't because I've, I've broken the ice now it'll have frozen over by tomorrow afternoon won't it fellowship lunch everyone's going to be like well uh. <laughs> no. what's that, that that flag with a snake on it don't tread on me <laughs> um, yeah so okay well kind of the, the permanent pastoral icebreaker is what we need to have at some point, isn't it? One more comment from Gino, and then I want to end on your time, get the room sorted out, and we can go. Gino? Yeah, Kurt, Kurt you brought up the, the shame thing, so this is kind of a donor look at that. Um, and Steve, first I want to say thank you for this exceptional work that you all are indebted to you for the work you put into this. Points one and two. Accurate self-diagnosis and clear goals. What's the greatest risk to us looking at Christ or clear goal of who we are maturing, maturing him. And I would argue it's not shame. I would argue it's not having our eyes firmly fixed on Christ and not honestly diagnosing where we are. We are going to stand before the greatest, most holy, most powerful being ever. We don't understand that. We're not going to stand before him and make excuses we're not going to stand before him and be able to say, well, compared to my brother, I'm doing okay. <laughs> right. We're going to stand before him. He's going to want to know how we raise our children and how we lived our life. Every moment, how we've been faithful to him. You're going to have some level of shame there. But honestly, knowing that Christ is our propitiation is what gets you past that shame. It's not about you. It is about you using your time and honestly finding where you are, not where your brother's going to tell you, hey man, you're doing all right. Look what the world looks like. You look great. We're yeah. not great. You're never great when you compare yourself to Christ. Hmm. Be honest with your self-evaluation. 
You're okay. Look how great you're doing. Man, those things may be true, but we should not sit there and think, oh, it's time to be complacent. I got a day to take a break. You could be asked today to stand before the Lord. Uh -huh. That doesn't scare you to death. You yeah. just think about that, right? Uh -huh. You should be leaving here pretty, you know, scared of this. This is a this is a pretty tall task uh -huh. to do this. Yeah. You can't be lazy, you can't give up a day. You yeah. can't say, oh, I'm okay. None of us are okay. None of us are doing this well enough. Yeah. Right? So somehow we need to honor the fact that there is no um, ceiling on maturity. Yeah. At the same time, Christ is blessed. I mean, like, yeah. you, you actually uh, you haven't, actually haven't committed any murders this week. That's quite normal in lots of parts of the world, in lots of human history. So thank God for that. But, yeah. It's not like, oh, heck, I'm, I'm doing okay now. No, there's no ceiling. Infinite maturity is not like a line just above where we are. So that's a good point to end. Um, Pastor Neil has um, gone off to attend to something else, so I was going to ask him any final comments or to pray. But um, I'm going to lead us in prayer, um, and then we're going to finish uh, with one or two just brief instructions about the room. Let's pray together. Merciful Father, we're grateful to you for this time. Uh, we ask that you'd help all of us uh, in taking these thoughts away with us to reflect honestly on our lives and when we return in due time to uh, drill down more deeply into some of these uh, questions and issues that we've raised, uh, to do so with purposefulness and guide us by your grace that we may do so fruitfully. And we pray now for the rest of our days. We've got uh, many different things to do. Please go with us. Keep us safe. Make us joyful and Christ-like and bring us joyfully back together tomorrow to worship you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.